Good morning, everyone. It's your host, Dave, here. Welcome to episode 81 of the Quickie Podcast. I hope you have something great going on this weekend. But for now, let's just take 10 seconds and relax to the sounds of these ocean waves crashing against the shore. Just take a deep breath. Just get your mind ready to absorb some amazing content and stories from my guest today. Hang on just a second. I just got to turn these waves off. There we go. All right. I did like that, though. I did like the waves. It felt really calming. Welcome to the show, everybody. My guest today is Scott Carslake. He is the co-founder of Voice in Adelaide, Australia. Scott was a rural boy and grew up on a farm. There was one single book, though, that lit his design and creative fire while he was in university. He tells us which one and what that did for him. He co-founded Voice over 20 years ago now. He talks about that agency startup and what that was like. And he talks about how after their best year ever, they decided to reposition themselves and their place in the market and the kind of customers that they accepted business from. He also tells us about a project for a jewelry brand that he was a part of. Think four dudes in an office doing work for a high-end jewelry brand. I'll let you put it together, but he also tells us that story. He talks about a billion-dollar power company that they landed as a client, and it's a logo and project that he had driven past and had a comment about for years. And finally, they came in just naturally, and they got an opportunity to help that brand. We get into that and so many other stories in this episode, so let's get it started. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Carslake from Adelaide, Australia. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Hey, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing terrific. It's uh, nearing the end of the day here. I'm just uh, cranking away. Looking forward to chatting. Excellent. So am I, mate. So I was a bit scattered this morning, to be honest, but uh, this is a good opportunity to sit back and have a nice chat. Awesome. That's good. Well, did you crack yourself a beer then just to really get into it? <laughs> a bit early. A bit early for that here, mate. <laughs> so, but I, I have had... I've had a uh, beautiful chocolate croissant that was brought in by one of our designers and, and, a, and a nice coffee, so we'll, we'll stick with that at the moment. Oh, it's just as, just as good. Just as good, right? So I'm going to dive right in with the Quickie Podcast here and briefly tell the listeners about yourself, Scott. Excellent. That's a question for me. You got it. Sorry, mate. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, so... Um, Brief, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Yeah, so um, 
my name's Scott Carslake. Um, I'm a graphic designer um, at the core um, down in South Australia in a city called Adelaide. Um, I'm a co-founder and creative director of Voice Design. Awesome. And Voice Design has been going for 21 years, you had said? No, we've been going for 20 years. Um, this is our 20th year that we're we're uh, celebrating this year, so we're just having a bit of fun with uh, how to celebrate that with some, uh, you know, a close network of people. And, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting, but it's a little bit surreal at the same time. For sure. Did you, when you started out, did you really see yourself in 20 years we're going to be here? Or was it one day at a time? Yeah, it was more one day at a time. We never really um, had a plan, to be honest. Um, when you sort of engage in, in the world of design, um, you know, you just get enthralled in it and it just takes you wherever it leads. So there was no real plan. Um, I think at the end of the day, we knew that if it didn't work out um, with voice, that at the end of the day, we could go and get, get a job working for somebody else. So, um, but it was never the focus to, to have a, a business with longevity. We just didn't think like that. Got it. And before voice, what were you doing? Before Voice, uh, what was I doing? I was working for a well, one year after graduating from uni. I was working at a in a small studio um, in Adelaide, um, and I think I was there for twelve months. About the ten month mark, I just started to see that there was really no future for mm-hmm. me, and uh, I just had the feeling that what I was doing at that point in time, I would have been doing in five years' time. You know, so mm-hmm. I decided that um, it was time to move on. So. Spoke to Anthony, um, and and we decided to uh, get together and and uh, develop Voice as a as a business design studio. Awesome! I love the picture you're painting so far. I want to go back even further than that um, to your childhood, Scott. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood? Yeah, I do actually, um, but probably not what anybody's expecting. Um, I grew up on a very small in a very small community country town. Um, about one hour north of Adelaide mm-hmm. on a farm. So um, when you when you talk about creativity, um, it wasn't so much in the, in the arts or design. Um, I think the creativity that I grew up with was more about play, how to play in mm-hmm. a natural environment. So I would I would play and invent, um, you know, just scenes and games and scenarios um, in the the native scrub around our farm, um, and just go out there and, and just sort of lose myself in that environment and just, yeah, conjure up uh, activities and games and build things. And so for me, I would say I had a, a, a very, I had a lot of creative freedom, um, but it was just, I'd put it back to just, you know, natural play and being being a child, to be honest. But for me, there was a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom involved in that. Gotcha. I'm curious then how you started down the creative career path. Was there a family member that was involved in the arts or uh, as a designer that sort of steered you in that direction? Not at all. Um, Dad was a farmer, so um, he was an absolute, just worked his butt off, you know, mm-hmm. farming the land and, and grazing animals, etc. And uh, mum was just, you know, the real dedicated housewife, you know, doing all the duties to, to run a family and a household and, and raise children. So as much as they weren't creative, um, they were extremely dedicated workers. So I'm sure that I took plenty from that. But 
No, not really. I think I got into creativity probably once I got a bit older in school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably got to the ages of 15 and 16 and we started to make models at school. Um, we started to look at things like illustration and rendering techniques. And remember, these were the days before computers. So mm-hmm. it was all done by hand. And, um, and I just really enjoyed doing things like, you know, rendering and colouring in and and replicating like you know looking at an image of a poster and then replicating that in pencil and doing a lot of that kind of thing and once I got to year 12 when I actually had to make a decision about what I wanted to do as a career Mm -hmm. um, I just fall back to to design to just go that's the one thing that I actually sit down and enjoy doing in my own time Mm -hmm. and so I kind of backed that in a little bit and uh then I applied for some design courses, including interior, architecture, um, product design. But at the moment, when um, when the intake came in for um, visual communication, mm-hmm. essentially graphic design, I, that was at that moment I thought, if I don't get into that, I don't want to do anything else. So that was the moment that I thought that um, I'd really found something that uh, I was, wanted to commit myself to. Gotcha. So you originally looked at doing a sort of exploring all different venues of creativity from architecture to um, design to the other things that you had mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, growing up in a small town and then going to the city to university uh, was a huge step for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, I did not, not, I didn't really know what, uh, what the world was about in creativity. And I think that's why I applied for everything because I just knew that it was, um, it just seemed enjoyable, it seemed creative and uh, I had an interest in it but even at that time it was quite intimidating. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of um, an interesting sort of step to go through to be honest. Got it. So was there a particular moment um, that you started noticing a graphic design out in the world? Um, what did you start seeing? Yeah, I think um, when I was sort of about, oh, it would have been about 15 or 16 when I just started getting into like seeing design, but I didn't know it was design. So I can remember um, in my bedroom, I think I painted the Nike logo on my wall and I took a lot of care in that and I was super proud of it. And then I showed mum and dad, I'm going, oh, look what I painted on the wall. I just remember drawing it and masking it and doing all this crazy thing. I didn't know that was design at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know that was a logo. I didn't know. I just, it just made me feel something. So that comes back through to what we do today. But I just felt something then. So that was the first time. And then once, I remember my very first lecture at university, we were really lucky to have an absolute legendary designer um, teach us at uni who was an absolute gun. And um, he, in his first lecture, he delivered... Um, a speech about design that you just went, oh my God, how does this person know so much about design <laughs> and, and what this thing is? That kind of blew my mind that, you know, someone could know so much. Mm-hmm. And it was after that, after that sort of introduction, it was just noticing things in the world like contrast and harmony, you know, in natural forms um, and repetition, just all those basic design elements that we learned very early. Mm-hmm. They were the kind of things that I started to notice first rather than going, oh, there's a bit of signage, there's typography or there's a page layout. I didn't really see that early on. Mm-hmm. It was more about, gee, you know, there's five trees in a row, but one of them's fallen down. Isn't that interesting? So it was that kind of visual awareness that I started to see early. Got it. Okay. Um, in that time frame, 
when you started noticing things, was there, was there a project, um, not a project, but a design or a piece of art or something that you saw that now looking back was an influential design or piece in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, funny enough, I think one day, I'm just grabbing it now, one day I was in a small bookshop and I discovered a book called Typography 17. Mm-hmm. And it, was the, it was the annual of the, uh, the Art Directors Club out of New York. And I remember finding that in a bookshop and I opened it up and the whole book is just dedicated to, you know, world-leading typography mm-hmm. um, in terms of like any form of design, but it was all typography-focused. I've still got that book and I think that was the one thing that I opened up and I've, I don't know how many times I've looked through that book um, over the years, but mm-hmm. it has just been that one, there was one book I opened one day and I was just like, oh, wow, you know, it just blew my mind how great, you know, typography and design could be and that, that sort of became a bit of a Bible for me early on in terms of like if I needed any sense of inspiration or I knew I was about to work on a big project um, where I wanted to get my head in the right space, I would just sit down and just look at that book just to get inspiration and, and just get motivated. And uh, for me, that was a real uh, it was a real object that sort of um, at that point in time just made me feel like I wanted to do work that would be at that level mm-hmm. and, you know, which is world-leading typography. So that was a real um, a good find for me in that bookstore. And when, when did that book come out? Yeah, interesting that. Um, it was the 42nd and flicking through because it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that book was actually published in 1996. 1996. So you find this book in the bookshop and boom, it just sets you on fire. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was in my, um, before I'd graduated from uni as well. So that was the second second to last year of university. Awesome. I love it. I love books and how impactful they can be, not just in an instant when you find them or when you read them, but forever. You know, hanging on to them because so many people hang on to books, especially influential sort of look books like that, um, that you refer back to throughout your career for years. Yeah, I think it's just tangible as well. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we live in such a digital age that, you know, that's not tangible. Mm-hmm. You know, but a book where you have to turn the page, you've got to touch the pages, you have to find a place to sit down. You know, everything is a, it, it's a real experience where, um, so I found that, uh, you know, when you make a decision to engage in a book, you're really making a decision to forget everything else outside of that moment in time and just sit there and, you know, be in the moment with that book, for example. So it's, um, it's a little bit of a, looking back, it's almost a little bit of a, a ceremony, if you like. Oh, yeah, well put, a ceremony. I like that. Um, I want to know, Scott, if there is a designer or a brand that you look up to or closely follow, and what is it about them that you like? I don't so much follow designers today like I used to. I used to show a lot of interest and, and have a look around um, just to see what surround myself uh, you know, with good companies that were doing great work and really good thinkers. But, mm-hmm. you know, I really did connect and get a lot out of um, Eric Speakerman and his career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the company that he founded some time ago, amongst all the things that he did, but when he founded uh, Meta Design, 
um, that was a company that I just really, really engaged with. You know, they were doing so much. Um, they were doing so much with branding and design, but it was so simple. Yet mm-hmm. it was also so complex. And I just think I really connected with them because they weren't trying to over-design anything. You know, their their purpose was really to design for the sake of communication. You know, the real purpose of what that piece was meant to do. And we can get a bit lost in the world of like designing for designers' sake and designing for experimentation and we can go down that path, which is pretty cool. But at the end of the day, I mean, these are people who are designing, you know, systems, you know, for, you know, millions of people at at one time, whether it's a signage system or it's uh, timetables and all that kind of thing. And I just found that how can you take such a, I don't know, such a big task that's, you know, tedious and full of so much content, um, you know, not to make a mistake in the work, you know, it had to be absolutely spot on, yet when you break it down as a designer with a designer's eye, you can just see how they've constructed this, these beautiful layouts and pages mm-hmm. with beautiful grids and systems. And for me, I just, you know, kept looking at their work at that time and could just get lots and lots and lots of um, inspiration from it. But most of all, I actually learnt from it. You know, I was dissecting what they were doing with grids and how they how they constructed visual brands. And so yeah. as much as I was inspired and, and got into it, I was actually learning, learning from it, you know. So sort of learning in my and, career. Learning and dissecting their systems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It was just, um, you know, once you step, step out of university, if you don't have if you're not sitting under great mentors, you know, you've essentially got to take on that responsibility to, to learn and develop and grow yourself. And because we were working for ourselves in our own design studio, mm-hmm. you know, essentially we, we were mentoring ourselves, uh, you know, in that sort of regard. But, um, yeah, I just really connected with uh, Eric Speakerman and Meta Design at that time and um, just how they went about de- developing large branding systems. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, the systems can be so complex and being able to be in a position that you can see them um, means you got some skills and some experience behind you. The next few questions I have for you, Scott, um, take you down part of your career where you made some mistakes, you learned some lessons, uh, but you got through them. You managed to get through them. And I want to pull those stories and those lessons out for the listeners. Excellent. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Yeah, that's a really good question um, because essentially because we created our own business without any experience in running a, a business at all and with mm-hmm. no business training, we've had so many learnings you know, throughout that time and a lot of it comes from mistakes made and just learning that idea of how to run a business. And so there's been plenty over the last 20 years. But I think the the biggest challenge was when we came off probably our best year as a business. We had a really great year where we were doing um, lots of uh, festival branding projects mm-hmm. um, and big branding projects at the time. So financially, we probably had our greatest year ever. And so that was excellent. But then... We were like, okay, what are we? What's our next step? You know, what's our next play in the game? We kind of felt that we started to get a bit of an understanding that design was becoming a commodity. Mm-hmm. So we were like, right, well, we position all our clients to be, you know, meaningfully different in their sectors to have that competitive difference. 
we probably need to have a look at ourselves. So we decided to do that. And um, so we essentially went through a repositioning exercise for voice where we, you know, decided to develop a tone of voice. We decided to put, you know, a stake in the ground and what we stand for. So we went through essentially um, a brand strategy exercise on ourselves, which was extremely difficult um, and probably the biggest challenge because it was for us and we're extremely emotional. Mm-hmm. Part of that meant we also... Um, we reevaluated our clients and the fit, and uh, as a result, we decided to um, stop working for some large corporate entities. Mm-hmm. We just they're not a part of our future anymore. And at the same time, um, we had a couple of um, arts organisations decide to move on for us, just looking for you know to work with some other people. And this all happened in the one space. So mm-hmm. we've come off a great year. We've sacked some of our clients. We've decided to reposition ourselves and put a stake in the ground. And then we lost some other contracts at the same time. And so I'd say it came down to just weathering that storm, essentially, yeah. and and just having faith that we knew that we were going to come out the other side okay. Um, mm-hmm. We just needed to be patient and stick to our beliefs um, and continue to do the best possible work we could. Um, and we and we did weather the storm, but gee, it was it was a tough one because we were we were reevaluating why we exist and why we do what we do, and we've mm-hmm. never asked ourselves those questions before. Wow! So, can you share a little bit more detail about that repositioning and rebranding exercise that you guys went through? Um, <clears throat> what were some of the things that you discovered during that process, or came out as um, you know meaningful to? you both as co-founders and voice as a brand yeah so what we did is we essentially um we got a bit of help with a with a company to help us with essentially articulating who we are and what we do and what we're about now that sounds quite common um you know we do it for other businesses but we've never done it for ourselves and Mm -hmm. we don't we don't write brand strategies like we don't actually do it we always partner up with other firms um, who we feel is best for the particular job we're working on. So mm-hmm. we're trying to do to ourselves something that we've never done before. And we and part of it was even part of it was actually going, well, what is a brand strategy? You know, what does it mean? And mm-hmm. so part of actually getting our heads around all of this because up to that point we were doing graphic design for our clients. Mm-hmm. And that's quite simple. It's like get a brief work it out, do it to the best of your ability and, and do some great work. But right now we're going, hang on, we need to think about what we're saying and what we're doing and then we need to articulate that, we need to put it into words and so it was a, it was a massive learning curve about this, the concept of what brand strategy was. And part of it as well that we really discovered is when we've been working on jobs in the past where people have put extensive brand strategies on the table, we essentially said, 95% of this is absolute rubbish. Mm. Like, take it, out, take it out of this folder, put it in a bottom drawer somewhere. We just want these two pages. These are the only things that are meaningful. So mm-hmm. part of that was, uh, was a brilliant, brilliant exercise because we discovered that as much as you can go through a brand strategy exercise and can do all this work and all this foundation work, there's really, you can pull a highlighter out and within 10 minutes you can go, these are the few things that are meaningful. These are the few things that are going to move us forward. So... That was excellent, and so that's something that we've taken into our clients. But for us, the hard bit was is going, how do we want to position ourselves? Like, who do we want to talk to? How do we 
see ourselves as being different from every other graphic designer, you know, in Adelaide, in South Australia in, and in Australia. And how does anybody looking for graphic design services see us to be different from everybody else? Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge because we live in a city where there's some great designers. We live in a country where there's great designers, but we all do everything. So design is essentially a commodity and we will do everything from branding to packaging to mm-hmm. logo designs to annual reports to websites. We all say yes to everything. So for us, it was like, okay, we're not going to say yes to everything anymore. So how do we come out and say this without being arrogant or, you know, <clears throat> just not being, you know, it's, it's, it's even difficult to explain, funny mm-hmm. enough, Dave. So where we got to, um, is that Anthony and I really just broke broke down everything that we do and just kept breaking it down and breaking it down, breaking it down. And what we discovered is that all the work that we did that was really successful, you know, whether it had a massive impact on the client, had an impact on their business, it may have won some industry awards, we internally loved working on that job and then we enjoyed it, it came down to the people we were working with. And that was our key moment. So essentially what that did is we repositioned our business to work with like-minded co-founders of businesses and mm-hmm. founders of their organisations. And that, that was our point of difference now. And, you know, it's still a work in progress. You know, we're refining it and we continually challenge it. But it was at that moment that we wrote this copy, we wrote an ethos, we published it on our website and we clicked that button that said publish and made it live that was a huge step for us because mm-hmm. the first thing you read on our website is that we specialise in working with founder-led companies. Um, we know that that's not quite accurate yet and we're still refining it, um, but it's just continue. you just continue to reevaluate the language with, that we use and how we bring that across. So for us, that, mm-hmm. was, that was the big challenge in how to actually say we don't do graphic design but we actually do, but it's it's down in the layers. It's more about who we work with, but uh, mm-hmm. is how we just position ourselves. Man, that's great. Because what a what an important yet extremely challenging exercise to go through um, as co-founders. Oh, it was really challenging, and it but it's so good. The, the greatest thing that came out of it is how much it influenced our ability to talk to our clients, talk to prospects about who we are, what we stand for and what's meaningful to us and what's meaningful to their businesses and to help them grow because mm-hmm. we couldn't do that before because we're essentially a graphic design studio. We do graphic design. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, but now we don't talk like that. We talk about who we work with, the fit, about growth, about business objectives, emotional objectives, how it makes us feel. Mm-hmm. So, And that's how we connect with people now as opposed to going, can you provide a brief and we'll do a design for you, which is how you start in the early days. So it's, it's evolved us a lot um, in terms of how we talk, you know, in meetings, mm-hmm. how we talk and how we write. Um, so it's been a fantastic exercise to go through in terms of, you know, just how, how we work with our clients now. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that this next question, your answer will be before uh, or something before you went through this exercise. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I want you, Scott, to take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. And what was that like? Take us to that story. Yeah, that would have been um, in 
probably only one or two years before we went through our own repositioning exercise. Mm -hmm. And essentially it came down to the fit was not right. We didn't understand, we did not understand the intent of the client and Mm -hmm. why they were going through what they did. So we forgot to ask all the great questions that we, that we ask now and have those great conversations. And essentially it came back to, um, it was a fashion brand that we were mm-hmm. working on, but yep. it was had a real focus on on jewellery. And um, so we were a, a studio of four guys, funny enough, <laughs> and um, we were working on a jewellery brand that was targeting females. Yeah. And so straight away we're going, okay, all right, the, this is a bit of an unusual fit for us, but we'll back it in. Anyway, so we went through that idea of learning all about it and funny enough, the client used to be a graphic designer. So oh, there's nice. a little bit of a... Re- little bit of a red flag yep. right there that they were once upon a time practicing in what we do but they no longer do it and they certainly don't do it for themselves mm-hmm. so we did not recognize that flag there's another learning curve along the way and um, so we commenced working on this branding project and we developed some really really interesting work um, that we thought was completely relevant the client just didn't love it that's the feedback you know and once you sort of get into that territory you, you know that it's going to be a bit of a battle um, we dug our heels in, and we said, "Look, let's learn why. Why is it not a good? Why is it not a good feel? And and why don't you love it? And all these kinds of questions. And and it sounds very green, you know. We sounded very green, but at the time, intuitively, we just knew that this was not a good fit. Mm-hmm. We just knew, um, but we decided to kind of push through it. So we changed the way we worked, even as a result. So instead of us. I mean, we never do anything like mood boarding or anything like that. We never have, and we we don't um, we don't work in that manner. But for this for this one, we just thought, well, we don't really understand what she's after, so let's mood board. So we tried to mood board to get you know to get a real focus in a direction that was essentially aesthetically driven, mm-hmm. you know, which is how we don't work either. And so we got a mood board together that she was like, great, yeah, that's exactly what I'm after. So we reinterpreted that across to a to a brand and then she didn't like it so it was kind of like oh what are we doing here you know so and it, and in the end um, we decided to, to part ways but gee we dragged ourselves through an absolute shitstorm to try and make it work when I think at the end of the day we all knew we all knew intuitively it just wasn't a good fit because she couldn't articulate to us what she was the reason why she was going through a rebrand mm-hmm. um, and she couldn't articulate to us why she wanted, where she wanted to go as a business and how she wanted to grow. So, um, yeah, there were just a lot of signals there not to take that one on and um, we, for some reason, put our heads in the sand and thought we could, uh, you know, change how it all worked, but it never mm-hmm. turned out that way. Oh, man. Yeah, feel the pain there, you know, noticing the red flags up front, but, you know, yeah, you know what, guys, we'll just work through it. We'll work through it. We'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we you sort of see it as a bit of a, a challenge, um, but just because somebody can't articulate their their reasons why they're doing it and what they're doing is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I think when, when you're sort of, you know, when they've got a graphic design background um, and they're not doing their own work, they're not practicing, um, there's a lot of things about it that, that sort of go, okay, what's happening here and mm-hmm. is this right for us? And um, I think sometimes there's a lot of parents saying, no, mm-hmm. it's not. And um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because there's so many people out there doing design mm-hmm. that there's just good fit somewhere. Uh, I feel for you there, Scott. Okay, I'm going to shift gears now and I want to get to some of the happy stuff. Um, 
tell me about a project that you have been a part of that you're the most proud of, the one that just makes your heart sing. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question um, because you're involved in so many projects over the years and, and you like different projects for different reasons. Um, I think... I think one of the one of the jobs that I'm super proud of um, was that there's a, an enormous um, the electricity distributor here in South Australia. Um, it's just a massive building on this particular road that I drive down every day um, over the last twenty odd years to go to work, and mm-hmm. I've always looked at the building and just gone, "Oh God, it's just an absolute horrible brand." You know, they need to change it. You know, it's a it's a billion dollar organisation. And they had a really poor brand. They had a really poor image, you know. Um, users of electricity don't look fondly on them. So everything about them was kind of wrong. Anyway, so one day um, they actually called us up and asked us if we would um, potentially look at a rebranding this organisation. And funny enough, I actually got a bit emotional about that because um, I got a bit teary because it was one of those things that when you drive past such an icon like that and you just know that they could do it better but you're yeah. kind of like we're a very small studio there's only a few of us you know they would always if they did it they would go to a large firm mm-hmm. you know a large has strategy designers copywriters you know the whole thing but in the end um yeah so i got a bit emotional when i had that conversation and in the end we we managed to rebrand that organization and i think for us it was just a highlight to say that you know, we've kind of arrived, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, we've arrived as a as an organisation that is credible for a billion-dollar organisation to put their branding in our hands. And although you have that confidence in your design skills and your ability to do work like that, it's one thing for an organisation of that size to agree with you. So um, for us, I think we're super proud of that one, um, about doing a project of that size. Um, and bringing in kind of like really thoughtful design into a large corporate entity mm-hmm. um, in terms of rollout and layout and systems um, as opposed to going, you know, it's all about the logo and now let's just place it everywhere. So um, we're very, very proud of that. I mean, we don't, you know, a couple of years later we, we sacked them. We said we don't want to work for you anymore. The fit's not right. So it's funny how we flipped since then, but um, I think it's been... Um, one of the projects super proud of just because I think it let us know that um, you know big feather in the cap is to say we can we can do work on that level if we want to Mm -hmm. that's great that's such a great one for sure and it's kind of funny that you know for years you were driving right past this thing and looking at it and thinking this every time Um, you know it's so funny in any kind of sales environment you you do that. You have things like that, and you think maybe I should call them and tell them this once in a while, or some, at some point, and you never do. And sometimes it's just really funny how they they end up landing in your lap after you, you know, didn't say anything for so long. Well, that's exactly right. But mm. I mean, I think I'm not sure if this is a global thing, but you know, in Adelaide, you know, it's a very it's a very network driven city, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like who you know is. It depends what opportunities can come past you come past you you know moving along the the journey so mm-hmm. i think for you know uh, it's a city here that um yeah it's kind of who you know where the opportunities come and but that that's changing now obviously with uh, you know over the last sort of five to ten years with 
obviously social media and the internet and those sort of things, which has been a massive shift. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you can be can be found in so many different ways now. But at that particular time, you know, it's very difficult to ring somebody up and go, "I've got an opinion about your brand." If they're not ready to hear that opinion, oh, for mean, sure, for sure, not a, not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> could work the opposite. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next question is a bit more practical, Scott. I want to know. What is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Yeah, I'm going to get very practical here. Um, we use a management system called Streamtime, okay. um, and we use, we use that to run our studio. Um, and it's it's very practical um, ways to to quote jobs, to run jobs, to invoice jobs, etc. It sounds quite boring, but essentially, if if someone came and took that out of our studio today. Um, we would be in all sorts. So for us, that's a that's a tool that we just can't live without. And the great thing about that, it's actually been designed. The user experience and the interface has been designed by graphic designers. Yeah. Where once upon a time it was developed by um, some very very intelligent academics um, and code writers. So the interface was was very traditionally you know binary. But if you look at it today, it's just completely been uh, it's a different experience so it's very beautiful to use and very practical and that's one that uh, we couldn't live without Mm -hmm. that's a great one definitely practical scott this is the part of the show for the ask it forward question where i have a question for you from my previous guest and you get to ask a question of my next guest anything you want and i'm not going to tell you who it is but you can ask them anything Oh, I'm really looking forward to this one. <laughs> so my last guest was Juwan. He's a hand lettering artist and graphic designer out of Brooklyn in New York City. And yeah. he wanted to ask you, was there a specific moment in your design career when you knew 110% for sure you were on the right path? That's an excellent question. Um Wow, I've got to scan back, scan back here. Um, yes, well, I think it was the moment, you know, I just mentioned before when we were working on a, an extremely big branding project where we kind of felt that we had arrived. Mm-hmm. And, but I think the moment that I kind of felt that you actually knew that you were on the right track here was um, we'd arrived when the, there's a massive art festival here in Adelaide mm-hmm. called the Adelaide Festival and it's extremely visible. So it's all around the city and it gets lots and lots of um, funding support from financial partners to local government, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's a, ma- a massive res- revenue and tourism um, sort of generator for, for the city of Adelaide mm-hmm. and we were asked to brand that festival one year and I think that's when you really know that you've you've arrived and you're on the right path because it's one of those um, projects that you go, if you get to do that and you do it really well, it kind of goes down in the archives and it goes down as a part of history for the festival. Mm-hmm. And to know that we've done that and, you know, that the poster and the identity that we designed is, you know, archived and it's on exhibit and it's celebrated as a part of that history is... Um, is a moment that you sort of, again, is a little bit emotional because it's one of those projects you think you'll never get to work on. Mm-hmm. And to work on a project like that makes you makes you feel like um, you're definitely going in the right direction and that was a great moment. Now, how far into the start of your 
of voice uh did that happen well that project was in oh, what was it, 2014 so not early um i think i think we never really doubted we had no doubts about voice and and what we could achieve and what we could do so it was kind of like just you know, we just kept going and putting our heads down and doing the work and, and enjoying it along the way. I don't think we ever really looked at each other and said, you know, this is the right thing to do. I think just intuitively we we um, just really love design um, right from the word go. And the, the first day that we started working together um, in a small cellar underneath Anthony's parents' house, we, <laughs> yeah. we just knew that we were on the we just knew we were on the right direction intuitively. You know, yeah. we just had no doubt. So I. I I could probably say yes and no to that question, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love it. I love that answer. Um, Scott, what is the question you would like to ask of the next guest? Yeah, excellent. So my question is something, and, and it's, it's very transparent. So what's the one unbelievable experience you've had in your career that just blew your mind? And I mean from this, from the perspective of I can't believe that this is happening. Mm-hmm. That's the question. And what did you learn from it? So what is what is the one or what is one unbelievable experience you have had in your career? That just blew your mind. Had in your career that just blew your mind. From the perspective of you can't believe this is happening. I love it. And what did you learn is a, you know, a big part of that. What did you learn from that? Perfect. I am going to ask the next guest that question, Scott. Fantastic. Scott, that's the end of the show, man. I really appreciate you being on as a guest today. Thank you so much for your time in your busy day. It's been amazing having you. That's a pleasure, Dave. Thanks a lot for getting in touch with us. And um, hopefully uh, this is a, a good quickie for you, mate. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It ran a little bit over time, but I loved listening to Scott's stories, so I stuck with it. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning. See ya.